Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net. I want to thank RA for supporting the program that way. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, we have once again a pretty big gap. This episode aired four months after the last one. The original air date, March the 10th, 1952, and the title is Ghost Hunters. Dangerous Assignment, transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to wind up with my life being saved by a handful of cigars. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, you're going ghost hunting. Ever hear of Eli Bryant? Eli Bryant? Sounds familiar. World War II, an American trader, collaborated with the Japanese in the South Pacific. Oh, yeah, finger man, first class. He was killed in 1944 during one of our raids, wasn't he? So we thought. Eli Bryant is still very much alive, Steve. Been in hiding ever since. According to our information, he's in Australia. Had a plastic surgery job done on his face. One of our boys get a line on him? No, a man named Walt Cooper claimed he recognized Bryant in Darwin two weeks ago. He contacted us and said we'd hear from him again. What's his angle? It looks like he's trying to make some sort of deal. Putting the squeeze on Eli Bryant, and if that doesn't work, he's going to try to see how much he can get from us. That looks like it. Well, have we heard from him again? I've just heard about him. Cooper's body was found in a ditch on the outskirts of Darwin three nights ago. Ah, looks like he tried to pull the blackmail bite on the wrong man. Steve, get over there. Find the man who killed Cooper, and I think you'll find Eli Bryant. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Before we bring you tonight's Dangerous Assignment adventure, let me tell you about tomorrow's fine comedy on the NBC Radio Network. Yes, tomorrow you will hear The Bob Hope Show and Fibber McGee and Molly. And Eddie Cantor will bring you his show business show. There's always entertainment when Fibber and Molly open wide the doors at 79 Wistful Vista. And tomorrow, from Palm Springs, California, 
Bob Hope will have Bing Crosby, Marilyn Maxwell, and Charlie Farrell as his special guests. And Eddie Cantor's show business show will present a program of Italian entertainers. Bob Hope, Fibber McGee and Molly, Eddie Cantor. Yes, hear all three tomorrow on NBC. assignment. Fly to Darwin, Australia. Track down the killer of a would-be blackmailer, and I'll probably wind up with a gent named Eli Bryant, American traitor, fingerman for the Japanese in World War II. It's late Tuesday afternoon when my plane lands at Darwin, and half an hour later, I'm at police headquarters talking about Cooper's murder with the officer in charge. He brings out a flock of photographs and x-rays. You see what I mean, Mr. Mitchell? Here. Yeah. Wound on the back of Cooper's skull is rather unusual. No ordinary weapon, that's for sure. Looks as if he was struck with a club of some sort. Yeah, and one with spikes in it at that. Right. What have you found out about him? Cooper? Oh, very little. Single, lived in a boarding house, had very few friends. One of them was a man named Fleming. John Fleming, lived at the same address. You have Fleming in for a talk? Fleming's here, all right, in the morgue. He's dead. What? The farmer found Fleming's body in a parked car this morning, some 50 miles south of here. Don't tell me he was hit with that spike club. No, a 45 caliber bullet finished him off. That killer of ours seems to be having a busy week. No, this wasn't the same person, I'm sure. Oh? You see, Fleming's death wasn't a deliberate killing, Mr. Mitchell. One of my men telephoned in two hours ago with the news that a young lady reported someone had broken into a farmhouse near Murchison Creek last night. She fired a few shots at the man, thought she missed. It was Fleming? Yes, somehow he must have managed to get back to his car, drive a mile or so. And then conked out, huh? Conked? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Mitchell. Yes? Mr. Pelling, eh? Just a moment. Fleming's employer. I asked him to drop in. Want to talk to him? Sure. All right, have Mr. Pelling come in. Pelling runs some sort of a curio shop. Fleming was one of his clerks. I see. Come in, Mr. Pellin. Thank you. Mr. Mitchell, Mr. Pellin. How do you do? Mr. Pellin. Sit down, sir. I can't tell you what a shock Fleming's death has been to me, gentlemen. Why, he's been with me for years. My best clerk. You knew him pretty well, then? Of course. That is, I thought I did. What do you mean? Well, he's quiet, dependable, devoted to the store. I was thinking about bringing him in the firm as a partner. And the other day, he... Well, he quit. Just like that. I couldn't understand it. Mr. Pellin, have you ever met a man called Cooper? Cooper? Cooper. Let me think. A friend of Fleming's. He might have been in your store a few times. No. No, I, I don't believe I ever met the man. Well, looks like my next stop is that farmhouse near Murchison Crick and the young lady who plugged Fleming. I'll check with you later, Lieutenant. It's raining hard when my train pulls out of Darwin and raining even harder when I arrive at Murchison Creek Station three hours later. It's really out in the middle of nowhere, nothing but rolling plains. I finally get directions to the farmhouse I'm looking for. It's a one-mile walk in the rain. Yes? What do you want? You, uh, Augusta Wells? That's right. My name's Mitchell, Steve Mitchell. Here's my credential. Hmm, big-time policeman. Yeah, now, how about putting away that forty-five? What? Oh, sorry. Come on in. I'm still a little nervous after what happened last night. Nice place you have here. Run it alone? My father and I do. Pops away on a trip to Melbourne. Business? Yes. 
We raise pigs. Uh, I know. South wind again, hmm? You're American, aren't you, Miss Wells? Yes, but make it Gussie. Please never call me Augusta. I was born in a town of the same name. A whim of my parents. I have a brother who was born in Toledo. Aren't I lucky? What were you asking me? Uh, last night, about... Uh... Oh, well, there isn't much to say. I heard a noise in the den and came in to investigate. There he was, going out the window. He didn't stop when you called out? No, so I let it fly. Didn't know I'd hit him till this morning. One of the farmers down the road told me. Do you have any idea what the man wanted in the den? No, nothing much of value there. Mind if I have a look? No. Come ahead. Here we are. I saw him as I opened the door. He was over there by the window. Uh-huh, and what did... Well, what is it, Mr. Mitchell? What's wrong? to see in an Australian farmhouse is the wooden cigar store Indian, but there he is, about five feet tall. Then I spot something else resting by the Indian's foot and carved into the base of the figure is a war club, a wicked-looking weapon with half a dozen spikes sticking out of it. What's, what's wrong, Mr. Mitchell? I've suddenly become interested in this. That war club? Mm. It doesn't come loose. It's sort of a permanent fixture. Carved right out of the pedestal. Oh, I see. How long has the chief been in the family? Only since yesterday afternoon. Oh? Gift from a friend of mine, Bertie Slack. He's got a weird sense of humor and a face to match. Last year, he sent me a moose head for my birthday. Where's uh, Bertie get this, do you know? In Darwin, a store called Pellins. Pellins? Curio shop of some sort. Bertie's a regular customer. I see. When did he buy it? A couple of days ago. Why? The man who broke into your den last night, Fleming, was a clerk at Pellin's. Oh? Yeah. And a friend of his named Cooper was murdered four nights ago with a weapon that could be this war club. But how? That club is part of the pedestal. You can't swing the whole works. No, but a man could fall, hit his head against the pedestal. Oh, sure. Sure, I guess so. You have a phone? We're not that civilized. Uh, look, do you mind if I borrow your redskin friend? I think the police in Darwin might be interested in him and maybe in Mr. Pellin, too. You mean you want to take the Indian back with you? Why not? Well, you'll have to wait until morning. There isn't another train till then. Oh? I have a spare bedroom. Yeah, I noticed. And a gun. I noticed that, too. If you'll help me with the linen and blanket. Sure. Lead the way, Gussie. There's an extra blanket in the cupboard if you need it. Okay, thanks. Hey, wait a minute. Listen. Sounds like a truck pulling away. Funny, I didn't hear it approach. Could have posted in. What would a truck be doing around here this time of night? That's what I want to find out. The hall light's right at the bottom of the stairs. Okay. I want to take a look in the den here. Hey. The Indian. It's gone. In just a moment, Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment. We now bring you an important announcement for all Americans, particularly those of you who run your own business or are in a position to hire employees. This country is now engaged in a gigantic defense program which must be kept on schedule. There's no time to lose. To win, we've got to use every ounce of strength, industrial strength, in this contest to protect ourselves and the free world. That means we've got to give jobs, productive jobs, to all Americans. 
we've got to hire the handicapped. Thousands of handicapped persons, veterans and non-veterans alike, are ready, willing, and able to work. Thousands of others have proved on the job that when they're properly placed, they do every bit as good a job as their able-bodied fellow workers. So, Mr. Employer, give these folks a chance to help you increase your productive capacity. Hire the handicapped. Help them. Help your business. Help America. And now, back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Gussie wheels a small car out of the garage, and we take off after the truck. The road is wet from the recent rain, but we slowly gain. Then we come to a steep grade. Gussie comes up alongside the truck, but it suddenly swerves over, trying to crowd us off the road. Gussie hits the brakes. The truck misses us and goes into a skid over the bank. We stop, get out, and climb down to the wreck. How many are there? There's only the driver, and he's dead. Yeah. Here's the chief, safe and sound in the back. What are we going to do now? How far is it to Darwin? About 70 miles. Through country like this? Most of the way. Real rugged, isn't it? Yeah, see, I'd feel a lot better if I got the chief there as soon as possible. Do you think you could drive us? Well, it's going to be a little crowded in this car, but after all, I don't often get a chance to take one man for a ride, let alone two. Come on. How far have we come? About halfway. Oh, fine. Getting tired? Well, holding this wooden warrior in my lap is not exactly my idea of comfort. Steve. What's the matter? That bend in the road behind us, some headlights just came round it. Yeah. Hey, gaining on us, too. Coming up pretty fast. Do you think he's after us? That answer your question? It sure does. Step on it. around a curve and then spot a clump of trees and pull in behind it. Their car roars past. Then... Hey. Yeah. The tracks run parallel to the road, about half a mile away. I thought you said there was no train until morning. I meant passenger trains. They run a slow freight and cattle train through every night. I'd settle for that right now, believe me, but I don't suppose I've got a chance of catching it. Sure we have. Huh? There's a grade right over there. It slows almost to a stop. Okay, let's start hiking. Hurry, Steve. Just a little faster and we'll make it. This baby weighs a ton. Here, I'll try and get it on this flat car. There. Come on, climb aboard. I sure didn't realize what I was getting into when my friend Bertie sent this chief to me. I'm still a little hazy about some of the details. I think it breaks down something like this. Helen, the owner of the curio shop where the Indian came from, is actually Eli Bryant, a war trader and collaborator we've been chasing for several years. I heard his name mentioned during the war. Yeah, a guy named Cooper found out who Helen was and tried to blackmail him. In a fight, Cooper got shoved over, hit his head on the chief's club, and it killed him. Helen carted his body away, but the Indian here is proof of where the murder took place and puts the finger on Pellin. But this Fleming who tried to break into my house. Yeah, he was a clerk at Pellin's. He probably tried to pick up the blackmail gag where his friend Cooper had left off. 
he could have sold the Indian to your friend Bertie so it would be in a safe place and he could put the pressure on Cullen. Well, I guess that explains everything. Hey, it seemed to be stopping. What's that up there ahead? Cattle shoes. Probably going to unload. Wait a minute. The car parked up near the front of the train. Yeah, the tracks curve around and cross the road. That's the car that was chasing us. They must have figured the switch and backtrack. Come on, we're getting off on the other side here. Well, how about the chief? He's coming with us. There. Hey, look. The ditch beside the roadbed. Steve, this isn't going to work. You can't get very far carrying the chief. You got any better ideas? Yeah, I think I've got my bearings now. This section of the country looks familiar. Could you hide here for a little while with the chief? Yeah, I guess so. We're out of sight here. Why? What's your idea? See you later. As it takes off across the fields, I don't know what her idea is, but I hope it works. All I can do is stay undercover in the ditch with the wooden Indian. Twenty minutes later, I hear a sound. A motor of some type, but I can't peg it. It gets closer, and then all of a sudden, Gussie comes wheeling up to the edge of the ditch. What? A motorcycle. Sure, complete with sidecar for you and the chief. Oh, no. Where did you get it? Some people I know live a couple of miles away. I borrowed it from them. Did you telephone the Darwin police? No, they don't have a phone there. Oh, fine. So we hit the road again. Well, not exactly. What do you mean? Might be safer to travel cross-country away before cutting back to the road. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, chief, let's saddle up. probably get back on the road now. Oh, Panda, couldn't possibly think of a better idea. There. Yeah. I don't see any sign of a car behind us. We may have shaken them. Getting light. Yeah. Hey, don't tell me. Hmm? Civilization, look, up there beside the road, a farmhouse. And telephone wires leading to it. Well, what do you know? I'll head in behind the back porch there. Fine. There. Out of sight of the road now. Yeah. Come on, Chief. We're dismounting. See? Looks pretty deserted around here. Yeah. Smells musty. Probably been shut up for some time. There's a phone. Dead? Dead. What do we do now? That's a good question. Steve, the front door. I'll take a peek out the window. Is it Helen? No, I've never seen this guy before. Come here, take a look. Recognize him? No, I've never seen him either. He could be working for Pellin. Who is it? Name's Bedwell. I need a bit of a helping hand. Oh? What do you mean? Well, my automobile is stalled on the road. I'm not much of a hand at tinkering. I thought you might be able to help me. Steve, it could be a trap. Yeah, I know, but if it isn't, if he's legit, we can fix his car. It's our best way of getting to Darwin. I say, I'm still here. Here, take the gun, Gussie, and keep me covered all the way. Don't show yourself. All right, but be careful. Well, good morning. Hi. Where is this car of yours? Oh, see, it's through that clump of trees. Oh, yeah. I've been sitting it out most of the night and didn't want to disturb you until it got light. Okay, let's take a look. to the car 
with Bedwell, still wondering if it's a trap, but nothing happens. We get to the car. I find a loose distributor wire and fix it. Bedwell gets in, and the car starts like a top. I say. I guess that was it, all right. Well, thanks awfully, old boy. Sure. Are you heading toward Darwin? Yes. Can I give you a lift? You sure can. Hop in. Well, there are some others back in the house that I have to go to. Oh, others? Oh, who are they? One's a girl. Oh, how jolly. Does she have a friend? Well, uh... As a matter of fact, yes. Who's the friend? Well, you may find this a little hard to believe, Mr. Bedwell, but you see... The friend is a wooden Indian. What? Helen. A gun? I say, what is all this popping out from behind trees We talk of wooden Indians? Get out of the car, quickly. What happened to the accent, Helen? I don't need it anymore. Well, really? Now, Mr. Mitchell. You finally caught up with us. I certainly did. You see, I found out whom Fleming had sold the Indian to and sent one of my men after it. The guy in the truck? Yes. Fortunately, I followed along myself in my car. It's been a long chase, but it's over now. I say, I really don't know what any of this is all about, but I'm sure it's none of my business. And if you'll excuse me... Hardly. You were unfortunate enough to happen along at the wrong time. That Indian proves Cooper was killed at your curio shop. Cooper knew who Eli Bryant was, the collaborator we've been chasing all these years. That sort of makes you Bryant. Exactly. Now we're all going back to the farmhouse and our friend, the Wooden Indian. We start back to the farmhouse. I know Gussie's covering me, but when we get to the door, I realize it's not going to do me any good. Pelham is too smart. He jams his gun against my backbone and yells through the door. Open up, young lady. And if you have a gun, drop it. Either that or I shoot Mr. Mitchell. Gussie opens up, drops her gun. Helen spots the wooden Indian, and I know I've got to think fast because he's due to start shooting any second. Then I get an idea. The wooden Indian is standing beside the table on which the phone sits. Well, now that I have the Indian... It's too late, Helen. The police already know about you. I telephoned them a few minutes ago. Ah, you're bluffing. This farmhouse is vacant. The phone's been disconnected. Don't kid yourself. Here. I'll show you. I pick up the phone and walk toward Pelham. I manage to loop the wire over the Indian's outstretched hand, the one that holds the wooden cigars. Pelham takes the phone just as he starts to listen. I give the wire a jerk. It pulls the Indian forward into Pelham's gun. Uh, too late. Are you all right, Steve? Sure. Our friend the chief here saved us. Now, if Mr. Bedwell will be kind enough to take us all to Darwin... A uh, uh, wooden Indian for a friend... The deserted farmhouse. Oh, really, I... We're not really nuts, Mr. Bedwell. I can explain. Oh, quiet, quiet. Hey, Bedwell, come back. Bedwell! Gussie. Yeah? You better crank up your little motorcycle again. star, Brian Donlevy, will be back in just a moment. When it comes to knowing the people and facts about show business, you'll find that Eddie Cantor's 42 years in the entertainment world have given him a great backlog of wonderful stories about show people. And every Tuesday evening on the NBC radio network, Eddie recounts those intimate little-known stories about your favorite entertainers. So make it a date with Eddie Cantor's show business show for tomorrow and every Tuesday evening. You'll hear the recorded talents of many superb artists. And you'll hear interesting material from Eddie Cantor's memory book. Tomorrow evening, Eddie will present a program of entertainers of Italian backgrounds. 
as he features records by Jimmy Durante, Mario Lanza, Arturo Toscanini, and Tony Arden. Yes, make a date to be in the radio audience tomorrow evening for Eddie Cantor's show business show. It's a regular Tuesday night feature, joining such other fine programs as Fibber McGee and Molly, Bob Hope, and the Cavalcade of America on most stations of the NBC radio network. Next week, a train trip and a slight case of murder. That will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe. John Storm speaking. Included in tonight's cast were Kay Stewart, Dan O'Herlihy, Don Morrison, and Ben Wright. Be with us again next week at the same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Welcome back. Who knew a story set in Australia would primarily be about Steve Mitchell trying to chase down and then hold on to a cigar store Indian? It's an interesting episode, although our villain's indulgence of Steve playing with the telephone was very central to their survival. Just like the Man Called X episodes of this era, Dangerous Assignment was reduced to an effective 25-minute running time. Now, many show listings don't break down these sort of things, but I did find one radio listing that had Dangerous Assignment playing after five minutes of NBC News. Again, it's a reflection of the times as radio drama was becoming a lot less important and kind of worked in with other features. Another reflection of the time was the commercial for the Eddie Cantor show. At the height of radio's golden age, Cantor had been the host of uh, many high-budget weekly radio programs, boasting talented, regular cast, as well as solid guest actors who would be among the most talented performers in Hollywood and New York. He hosted big programs like the original Chase and Sanborn Hour from the early 1930s, as well as Texaco Town, It's Time to Smile, and also a program for Paps Blue Ribbon. Those sort of programs were really expensive, it And by 1952, it was becoming hard to find sponsors, so they were disappearing from the airwaves and would be essentially gone by the end of the decade. So Cantor, alone on the radio program, spinning records was a sign of things to come. Although, certainly if you were a listener to that program, you'd likely get some really solid stories and reminiscence from Mr. Cantor. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. 
And I want to go ahead and thank Beverly. Beverly has been one of our Patreon supporters since March of 2020, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Beverly. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of Dangerous Assignment. But join us back here tomorrow for Mr. Chameleon, where... Look at that, will you, Dave? Three men at a table. Two of them asleep and one dead. I've never seen anything like it, Mr. Chameleon. Well, let's take a look at these brandy glasses. It's a fourth place, I notice, which isn't occupied. This is all weirdy, all right. Well, Dave, John Croton, the host of this astounding dinner party, unquestionably has been murdered. The other two men will wake up. What? They'll wake up? Mm-hmm. Very shortly now. Doctor says their respirations are becoming more normal all the time. What was it, Mr. Chameleon? Why did all three men go to sleep at the dinner table? They were given some sort of a sleeping potion. It was fatal in Croton's case, but not with the two others. Possibly because Croton was given a larger dose. Oh, what a method of murder. Let's examine these brandy glasses, Dave. Careful. Don't get any fingerprints on them. This one's Mr. Croton's. Definitely smells odd. Yes, Mr. Kelly's too. Mr. Mark, same thing. This one, which uh, presumably belonged to the missing guest, this one, I'm sure, contains nothing but brandy. Dave? Yes, Mr. Chameleon? I want the contents of these glasses analyzed immediately. Meanwhile, I shall sit here and wait for our heavy sleepers to awaken. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.